Morning, all. Nice to see a few Hawaiian shirts out there, my people. Right, we're up to the Gospel Shaped Mercy series. We are up to the second session of, I think, seven sessions. So we're just working through. Uh, make sure you get into a home group so you can be a part of this series. It is well worth doing. So can I encourage you that? Uh, if you bring your booklet along to church, there's place in there to take sermon notes. Just a little heads up, I don't watch the videos before I write the sermon, uh, because otherwise it would just be in my head and I would find that very hard to work with. Uh, so at times you're going to hear myself and uh, the presenter say very similar things. At times you'll probably hear some different things, just bringing different truths from the same passage, and that's all okay. So I'm just saying I don't pre-watch them, just so you know that. All right. Let me tell you who I think is really worth admiring and emulating in the world today. Who it is you want your children to focus in on and, and model their lives after. That would be influencers. What an admirable bunch of people. Famous for Photoshop skills, presenting a false life, of false materialism, false spiritualism, false wisdom, while working hard to get free food from hard-working businesses, free trips from tour operators, and free accommodation from hotels that struggled during COVID. Wow, what a bunch of people, right? Recently, we had a person in the church create a TikTok account to show clips of sermons from our church. And, uh, and I've never been on TikTok. I didn't have a clue what it was about. So I created a TikTok account um, under a false name and put no personal information in there whatsoever just so I could see this thing. Um, and so when I logged in, it must have just randomly selected videos to show me on the front page. Uh, I didn't have the sound on or anything, so I still don't even know what it was about. But it was a young woman talking, and I truly paused and watched, feeling shocked. Not a single feature of her face was remotely natural. Not a single thing. Everything looked false. Everything either looked Botoxed, it either looked under heavy layers of makeup, drawn on, fake lashes, fake everything, and then no doubt digitally touched up as well. The whole effect, if anyone could call it beautiful, in my mind, would be the only way you could call a mannequin beautiful. It was a false plastic thing made to reach some ideal. The face, to me, represented the whole influencer story. A false humanity lived out to the false adoration of people craving a lie of happiness. Now, I know some people will sit there and say, Boomer, which I just find the name-calling of the mentally deficient, honestly. Seriously, come up with a better argument than that. But it's right there if you have eyes to see it, a falsehood. It's such a far cry from the inward beauty of a gentle spirit that godly women are called to in Peter. Well, this morning we want to think about who we admire and the way that who we admire shapes us and molds us. The truth is the term influencer is an accurate term 
We are influenced by those we look up to. Me, when I was 19, I've mentioned this before, but I admired Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam fame. When I was 19, I had shoulder-length hair, an eyebrow ring, I wore a blue bond singlet, cut-off army jeans, and high-cut Doc Martin boots. That was my standard clothes to get around in. There are no photos, maybe. Anyway, the reality is, because I admired Eddie Vedder, I wanted to look like Eddie Vedder. But even more critically important is those we admire, we actually begin to think like, behave like, act like. The reality is, from sports stars to movie stars to influencers to whoever, they do have an impact on our thinking. So to analyze this, to look at this, to talk about this this morning, we're going to open up to Psalm 146. And we're going to see who we should admire and also who we shouldn't and the impact that can have on our lives. The last five Psalms in your Bible are known as the Hallelujah Psalms, the Halal Psalms, because they all start with Hallelujah, which means give praise to God. They are joyful songs of praise. They're a reflection of our lives as Christians, which are all going to end up in the eternal praise of God when we behold Him face to face. Amen? Right? This is the, there's a joy that comes out of these, right? Listen to the start. This is Psalm 146, 1 to 2. Hallelujah! My soul praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Amen? How good is that? You just want to yell it out, don't you? Give praise to God, my soul. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all of my life. I will sing to God as long as I live. Ah, oh, makes me want to burst into a solo. Um, yeah, probably not, right? But anyway, that's how it feels. It's, a, it's an expression of praise. We want our, our lives, our souls, our hearts and mind focused on God at all times. And that focusing on God, that dedication to God just results in joy and praise and adulation of the one who saved us. See, this is where our devotion and our focus should be. We are being molded into the likeness of Christ as we fix our gaze on Him. As we fix everything on Christ, He is shaping us into His likeness. And the result is praise of Christ. Our result is joy in worship as His Word conforms you and shapes you. Church, as you fix your eyes on Christ, it will lift your heart, it will lift your mind, it will lift you into those heavenly places with Christ. It will be good for you. But there's always a temptation for all of us to fix our eyes elsewhere, isn't there? And so our psalm goes on, Psalm 146, verses 3 to 4. After that beautiful opening triumphant cry of praise, do not trust in nobles, in a son of man who cannot 
saved. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Nobles, royalty, these were the influential figures of the day. Those that people admired and and looked up to. The people that you wanted to be like were those noble figures of that day. Nowadays, it's not so much royals that hold that position, as I said earlier, but in the younger generation, influencers and YouTubers. For people with responsibilities, it might be an economist, a CEO, a, a person whose success and wealth and power is something that you want to emulate in your own life, something that you wish you could achieve in your life. The problem is, at the core of this, It's always based off selfishness. I want the influence and fame of a social media star along with their lazy lifestyle of sunning on a boat somewhere. Or I want the money of the economist so that I don't need to trust anyone, including God, by the way, because I've got it all sorted out for myself. I have my own security. Or maybe it's the power of the CEO and and wanting that kind of authority. Whatever it is, it all boils down to a form of selfishness. I want to have it. I want control. I want authority. I want security. I want peace. I want happiness. It's all about me. Here's the truth, though, church. The thing that a noble, an influencer... An economist and a CEO all have it in common is that they are all sons of man. And in the context of this passage, being a son of man means you have what is common to all sons of man, you will all die. It doesn't matter what influence you have, you will die. It doesn't matter if you have a funeral as grand as Elizabeth's with celebrities in attendance, you still die. You can have money, power, prestige, and you will die. And despite their power and money, they cannot save you even if you put your trust in them. I'm sure some of you will remember the photos of Steve Jobs towards the end of his life when he was really wasted away from cancer. And just money and success could not change that. And it could not change that for him. And it can't change it for you by looking up to him or by having the latest iPhone. It's not going to save you. On that day, says our passage, not only do they die, but all their plans die with them. Right? They don't have any enduring, ongoing authority, power, influence. Their plans die with them. Always think of Alexander the Great. Conquered most of the world by the time he was 13 years of age. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? And then he died. And then his kingdom was split across four generals. And then they warred with each other. And then his kingdom fell apart. What did he achieve? Companies, royal lines, whatever it is, they die. And what they have lived for will die as well. 
Everyone feeling uplifted this morning? But this is the psalmist's point. Why offer your adulation to someone who is just as bound to the futile struggles of this life as you are? Right? What's the point? What's the point if that's all there is? Don't get me wrong. It's good to have a roof over your head. It's good to know you can afford to eat. It's good to know you've got enough money to have relaxing and fun times with family and friends. But to build an empire? Why? This is why we focus on the one who is not subject to the way that is common to all men. The one whose plans will never end. And the one who is eternal and can also save you. There is the one worth giving our devotion to. This is the point of the psalmist. And so he moves on from the beginning praise to the negative influence of those we might put our faith in and now to the correct one. Psalm 146, 5 to 6. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Happy, blessed is the one whose help is the God of Jacob. Why? Why are we happy and blessed if our hope is in the God of Jacob? Because he is the Lord God, the maker of all things, including the heaven and the earth. Why would we trifle trying to look up to people who are good with money, which they've made out of things from the earth, when we can look to the one who made the earth, right? The one above, the one greater, the one beyond. That's the point of our text. This is where true power and authority lie the maker of the sea and everything in it, the maker of all things, and he is forever faithful. Eternal, forever faithful. What's he like? If we're going to put our our trust in this God, if we're going to put our faith in him, if we're going to look to him for our help, if we're going to look to him to, to, to copy, to emulate, to be made into his likeness, what is he like? Well, that's what our psalmist now moves on to tell us. This is Psalm 146, 6 to 9. The maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, he remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. He is faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited. This is a massive part of God's character. If we go through the Old Testament, if you read right through Genesis to Malachi, read through the Old Testament and see just how often God defends the rights of the poor, the exploited, of the alien in the land. 
You can go to Amos and you can look at uh, God's anger at corrupt judges who are favoring the wealthy over the poor. We can go right through the Old Testament and see this pattern repeated again and again and again. But that's just the Old Testament, Sam. Jesus isn't like that, is he? Well, let me read to you from Matthew 23, 16 to 23. Matthew 23, 16 to 23. And I want you to tell me, listen carefully, you tell me the emotion Jesus is feeling as he says these words. Okay? There's your challenge. You tell me. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it means nothing, but whoever takes an oath by the gold of the temple is bound by his oath. Blind fools! For which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Also, whoever takes an oath by the altar, it means nothing. But whoever takes an oath by the gift that it is on is bound by his oath. Blind people. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies it? Therefore, the one who takes an oath by the altar takes an oath by it and by everything on it. The one who takes an oath by the temple takes an oath by it and by him who dwells in it. And the one who takes an oath by heaven takes an oath by God's throne and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Anyone getting a feeling of emotion here? Does he sound a little angry to anyone? Gee, he does to me. Why is he so angry? Why does the tone of Christ here have such anger in it? And the reality is, it was exploitation. See, what they were doing is they were saying this. You can't just take an oath by the temple. Why? Because you've got to pay money to make it count. That's what they were saying. So the scribes and Pharisees were basically saying, as long as some gold changes hands to us, then it counts. You can't take an oath just by the altar. You need to put something on the altar, something that benefits us. Right? So they're trying to bring money between the people and God. And Christ is not happy. So they're observing the law, they're paying their tithes of mint or whatever it might be, of of herbs, and they're going through the religious motion of paying their tithe whilst neglecting the weightier matters of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They're religious hypocrites who think by going through religion, they could ignore the commands of justice, mercy, and and faithfulness. God has not changed. God in his character is just, and God's character doesn't change. This is why God doesn't simply forgive your sin. No, he forgave them in Christ. Why? Because justice demanded 
death for our sins against God. And God met death on his son Jesus so that justice was paid because God is a God of justice. And Jesus paid the penalty. That is the good news. Your sins aren't simply forgiven. No, your debt was paid on Jesus because God is just. And we, as we look to the author and perfecter of our faith, are being made into his likeness. That character of God should be seen in you and me. Think about that list again from Psalm 146 and tell me how much it reminds you of Christ. Faithful forever, executes justice, gives food to the hungry, frees the prisoners, opens the eyes of the blind, raises up the oppressed, loves the righteous, protects foreigners, helps widows and orphans, frustrates the ways of the wicked. Sound a bit like Jesus? It should sound a bit like you. Because you're being made into the image of Jesus. So what we see is 100% consistency in God's character from the Old Testament to the New Testament and then through into us. But let me pause for a moment. If we read again through that list of the character of God, ask yourself, am I being made into that image? Am I being made into the reflected character of Christ? As I am being transformed from one degree to glory to the next, can people see the character of God in me? Are we a person that executes justice for the exploited? Or do we not care at all? Sometimes it all feels a bit too big. What can I do? Well, firstly, we should support ministries that fight for the dignity of people where possible and also have opportunities to show the love of Jesus and proclaim his gospel. Right? Those two things should always be linked. The proclamation of the death and resurrection of Jesus and acting out the love of Christ. But remember, the righteousness of Jesus should be naturally coming out of us. So I'd put it to you. If all people are made in God's image and we have a choice to buy a clothing item made by someone paid a dollar so we who are rich can save a dollar or we can contribute to people having a fair living wage, which one treats people better as God's image bearers? Right? I'd put it to you. If the character of God is showing the love of God for all people. Which one reflects better God's character? Justice, mercy, mercy, faithfulness, the character of God as described in the Word and the weightier matters, as Jesus calls them, that we are called to. This is what is meant to be happening. If you want to balance all of this out reasonably simply, if there's a verse you want to commit to mind throughout this whole series, just a couple of verses that just ground you out on this. My favorite is Galatians 2, 9 to 10, right? So this is my my go-to when I want to try and maintain a balance between 
proclaiming the word and living it out. The, uh, the story is this, Paul has been out on his missionary journeys planning churches and he had not yet met the apostles. So Barnabas and Paul went out on the first missionary journey, they had not yet met the apostles. This is when he has his first meeting and meets Peter, James and John for the first time and effectively they give Paul the handshake of we accept you as God's missionary to the Gentiles, you have the apostolic blessing as it were to continue your ministry. So this is what this is communicating, right? They accept Paul's ministry. So remember, what Paul has been doing, what they're affirming is church planning, preaching the gospel, right? That's what they're affirming. You are called to be a church planning proclaimer of the gospel, but they add one thing only. They add one thing to Paul, and that's what we read here in our passage. When James, Cephas, Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, pillars that Christ built upon them, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and to Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. Isn't that incredible? He's a guy out there in the front line planning churches, proclaiming the gospel, and when he meets the apostles, they have one thing, one requirement they say to Paul. Remember the poor. And Paul says the very thing I've made every effort to do. Church, that's an incredible picture. Right? Our first priority is the proclamation of the good news. Our first priority is to tell people of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And with that, says the apostles, remember the poor. Remember to help people on the way. I've said this before, truth without grace is legalism. Grace without truth is liberalism. And this fits into truth without grace if we don't remember those who are broken. Now, I would love it, the elders would love it, if we were the most truthful preaching church in Bundaberg, that we exegete the Scripture in such a way that it rings with Christ's authority and not ours, because it's true to His Word. This we should never yield on, and by the clear proclamation of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we will stand, church. Amen? But if we do so without love, then the scripture says we're a clanging gong. We don't evidence Christ in the way we care for people. Then we're a clanging gong. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. May that be how people describe Bundaberg Bible Church. They proclaim the truth and they help the fatherless and the widow. Right? That's who we want to be. If you want to see the eldership team really, 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 really frustrated, come up to us and say, St. Francis of Assisi once said, 
preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And you will see genuine struggling not to get angry. The re Two reasons. One, St. Francis probably never said that. Uh, the first time it's attributed to him is 200 years after he died. So it's very unlikely he ever said those words. And secondly, it's complete garbage. Um, and that's probably more important. The gospel is a proclamation. It is the spoken truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. There is no proclaiming the gospel without preaching it and speaking it. Right? Stand on that. Make it clear. If anyone says to you, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. You know, like, it, uh, go for a swim. If necessary, use water. Like, it, that's that kind of stupidity, right? So, let's not go there, church. It is a spoken, proclaimed word, but our actions must support the message. If we declare our love for God, that He so loved the world that He sent His Son, we need to make real sure the world can see the love of God in our actions. Right? It supports our message. And so the psalmist declares who it is we need to focus in on, who it is we need to, to set our gaze on, that we would be influenced by Him and we'll be molded into His likeness and we will reflect His character. And when we do that, note how the psalm finishes. Psalm 146 verse 10. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. Give praise to God. And this is the result of when we fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. The Lord reigns forever. You are being made into His likeness. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, not on influences, not on CEOs, not on pastors, unless you can see something of Christ in them, but on Jesus. Be made like Him, which means live like Him. Speak the truth like Him and love like Him. This community should meet a church that preaches the gospel unashamedly. There is one way to heaven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we should show the love of Christ that reached down and saved broken people like us as we go out to reach the broken people around us. Amen? Church, that's what it means to be made into the image of Christ. And that's who we're called to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we are not desperately caught up in some cycle of, of trying to make ourselves better and trying to be perfect and trying to do all these things. But Lord, because you have filled us with your spirit, we are being molded into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. 
Lord, we pray that as we fix our eyes on you, as we are transformed into that image of Christ, Lord, may we be a people who stands on and proclaims the truth. There is salvation in no other name than Jesus. But Lord, a church that doesn't do so from some academic, oh, look at us, we're so good at our gospel exegeting and and not living it out. An arrogant church, but not a loving church. Lord, save us from that. Lord, may our study of the truth of your word lead us to a greater realization of who you are, which would lead to us being made more into that image, which is going to make us impact this community with the love of God. Lord, we commit ourselves to you this week. Where we need to be challenged, challenge us. Where we need to grow, grow us. We'd better bring glory to you, Jesus. In your name.